This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. From MPB Think Radio, this is In Legal Terms, the show all about your legal rights and your questions about the law. Good morning. I'm Greg Mayer, sitting in for your regular host, Liz Gill. And I'm joined, as always, by Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today is Giving Tuesday, and so we thought it'd be a good time to talk about the law governing charities and charitable giving. Mississippi always ranks near the top when it comes to donating money, and there's a lot you need to know about what you should and shouldn't do when it comes to charitable giving. Do you know how to set up your own charity? We'll talk about that, too, as well as any other legal questions that might be on your mind this morning. We'd love for you to join our conversation. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, recognizing exceptionally creative individuals. This year's MacArthur Fellows and more information are at macfound.org. And the listeners who support this NPR station. The legal information presented on In Legal Terms is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information conveyed does not create any type of attorney-client relationship. Please consult an attorney provider before making any decisions about your specific legal questions. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. This is In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio. I'm Greg Mayer and joined, as always, by Professor Richard Gershon, the University of Mississippi School of Law. Today is Giving Tuesday, and this morning we're going to talk about the law governing charities and charitable contributions. We'd love for you to join our conversation today. If you have a question or a comment, give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can send an email to legalterms at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Professor Gershon. Today, I think a lot of people are considering their year-end gifts, but there are also uh, people out there, organizations out there, who want to know, can they qualify to be a, ch- a charitable organization? Uh, that's right. There's, this is a time of year. You know, Mississippi is one of the most generous states, always ranks in the top uh, five nationally when it comes to people who give. And so this is a, a topic that affects most Mississippians in some form or fashion, whether it is through charitable contributions or setting up your own charity uh, for your own uh, purposes, charitable purposes. So, you know, maybe a good place for us to start this morning uh, is if you could tell us a little bit about what's the difference between a charity and just about any other nonprofit organization. It's a great question, Greg. And, uh, you know, not a nonprofit organization could be something like a country club, for example, or uh, homeowners associations are quite often tax exempt and not uh, not for profit. Um, and so they can collect dues without having to pay tax on those dues. But those are not charities. Uh, charities have to meet specific purposes. They have to be, uh, you know, according to the Internal Revenue Code, and this is going to be a 99% tax-free discussion of charities, but, you know, the, the definitions are really, to some extent, related uh, to the tax laws. So when, when the IRS looks to, to see if something's a charity or the state of Mississippi looks to see if something is a charity, it has to be organized for religious, scientific, charitable purpose, charitable purposes. Uh, it has to uh, do things like uh, uh, protecting animals from abuse or children from abuse. There's some specific things that, that make them tax-exempt charities. And, and, and that's, that's a great place to, to, to go next because it, it has to have the exempt purposes you've talked about, charitable, religious, educational. There's, there's any number of, of, of purposes that a charity could have. But 
how does one then go about if you if you have a purpose like that setting up a charity? That's a great question, and it's something that people should not uh, take lightly. Uh, you know, they really ought to consider uh, very, very carefully when they want to start a charity. But let's say they, they decided they want to do that. The first place they should start in Mississippi is to go to the Secretary of State's uh, website. Um, there's some great information on steps to start a charity and things you need to think about. Um, there's a, a list of 11 things that that website talks about. And the first thing you need to do is, is uh, form a board of directors. Uh, figure out who will be uh, running this organization, and those should be at least three people. Mississippi requires at least three people. They recommend the state recommends five or more. Um, I'm on a board right now that has a lot more than that, um, and those board members should be independent and unrelated. Okay, so we don't want to just have family members as board members. Um, they've got to file an article. Their articles of incorporation identifying their charitable purposes with the Secretary of State. Uh, so they have to show that they are uh, working for religious, charitable, uh, scientific, educational, any of those tax-exempt reasons. They've got to create bylaws. They've got to create, uh, have meetings. Uh, and they've got to apply for a tax identification number with the IRS. Um, and so there are a lot of steps that you need to take and need to think about. But one of the most important things is to think about the name that the organization is going to choose. Because there are a lot of charitable organizations out there, and you don't want yours to be confused with others. And you want to think about what you're trying to accomplish as well. What are your goals? What's your vision? Because um, if there's another organization that's already doing what you're trying to do and doing it really well, uh, it may just be good to uh, connect your resources with that organization instead of starting your own. All of those, and, and you went through maybe about the first four or five steps to get started. Do you need to have a lawyer uh, to actually help you to do this process, or can you do it without a lawyer? I think it's better to have a lawyer, you know, somebody who is uh, understands how to set up a, a charitable organization. These are complicated entities, and they require steps that maybe people don't always think about. There are forms to file that you need to, to think about. You need to have uh, think about a budget, uh, and you need to think about what your purposes are and to make sure that they comply with the rules. Um, having a uh, set of bylaws is important as well. In fact, uh, when, uh, when uh, an entity uh, wants to get tax-exempt status from the Internal Revenue Service as a charity, one of the things they'll be asked to do is submit their bylaws. So all of those things are things that the average person may not really understand how to do, and a lawyer can help them do that. Um, the bylaws are the, simply the instructions for the organization, and, and I've seen a lot of businesses that don't have good sets of instructions that, that cause problems later on. So you want to have a good set of instructions going into this process. This morning we are talking with Professor Gershon at the University of Mississippi uh, School of Law about the law of charities and charitable contributions. We're starting talking about how do you set up your own charity. If you have a question on this topic or any legal topic, give us a call this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And it's also a reminder that today is Giving Tuesday, a day from people all over the globe take action and give back to their local community. You can join in the celebration today, too, by donating your unwanted vehicle to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll gladly accept your unwanted car, boat, motorcycle, running or not. We'll even come pick it up free of charge, and your donation may even be tax deductible. If you'd like to do that, call one eight seven seven mpb 4 car That's one eight seven seven six seven two. Four two two seven. Now, Professor, I want to circle back when we're talking about a charitable organization. And to, to be a charitable organization, you have to qualify as a 501c3 uh, organization under the IRS code. What does that mean? If you're a 501c3, that, that limits you in, in some respects. It does. And you know, first of all, Greg, it gives you some great benefits. Uh, you are tax-exempt both at the state and federal level from uh, paying income taxes on the gifts that you're given or any dues that you charge uh, as, a, as an entity. Uh, you also, the people who make donations to you um, can, depending on their own particular tax circumstances, uh, take a charitable deduction. So it's, it's win-win, and that's why these, these 501c3s have special status, is because they're the kind of organizations that our federal government and state government 
say, you know what, uh, these things should exist. We want people to be doing some public good um, that maybe the government itself can't engage in. For example, religious organizations, uh, the government could not sponsor a religious organization, so instead they give a tax-exempt status to religious organizations. So these are, these are encouraged organizations. These are organizations that we want to exist, and so we give special tax treatment to, uh, including um, giving them uh, tax exemption and uh, uh, charitable donation status that is uh, amplified because people can deduct their, their donations. And so you ask the question, what are they prohibited from doing? And, um, you know, there, there are things that uh, charities need to be aware of. And one thing that they cannot do is specifically support a candidate for office, for example. Um, they cannot engage in being involved in elections. Um, and partly because these are organizations that don't pay taxes. And so, you know, there's no uh, taxation without representation, but there's also no representation without taxation. And for charities uh, to, to get one started uh, and, and to receive both the benefits you just uh, to walk through and then also be confined by some of those restrictions about, you know, lobbying and, and, and influence on in, in your state legislature or Congress, uh, you, you, you've already talked about the first few steps that you have to do. You have to form your board of directors. You have to file an articles of incorporation. You have to create your bylaws. Most of these things that you can go to the Secretary of State's website, and it helps you identify how to do each of these steps. In fact, it spells them out for you. Uh, it also uh, encourages you have to open a, a bank account in the charity's name. Is it required that you have a separate account just for the charity? Yes, and, in fact, you really absolutely should um, because this this is an account – where it is the, the organization's money. And you want to keep that separate from any uh, member of the board or any other private person's money because then there's a question of whose money are they using when they make expenses. So we want to make sure that when we write a check uh, on behalf of the charity that it actually uh, is the charity's money that's being used and, not, and also that somebody else is not using that money for their own benefit. Uh, board members can get into serious problems when they start to commingle the charity's money with their own. And in fact, um, you know, there are, there are circumstances there. When I lived in Charleston, uh, the president of the uh, Humane Society in Charleston was writing checks from the, uh, the organization to pay his own personal debts. And clearly that's, that's a serious problem that can get you in jail. Well, we're going to take our first break of the day. When we come back, we're going to continue our discussion with Professor Gershon about the law of charities and charitable organizations. If you'd like to join our conversation or have a comment or question, call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. can be just what the doctor ordered. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz, 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org forward slash In Legal Terms. You can also find it on the new MPB Media app. All of MPB shows are available on the app. This morning, we are talking with Professor Gershon at the University of Mississippi School of Law about the law of charities and charitable contributions. And I want to continue with talking about setting up a charity. 
uh, Professor, because there's something specific in Mississippi you have to do that uh, may not have to do elsewhere, and that is register with the Secretary of State's Charities Division. Why do you have to do that? Well, that's a that's a great question. The Secretary of State does have uh, supervisory authority over the charity, and, and you're applying for special status with the state. And so uh, you have to register so that they can uh, provide information about your organization to the public. And, in fact, on the really, really good uh, Secretary of State website uh, under charities, you can look up any charity to see, um, you know, if they're still in compliance. Um, I looked up a couple today that, that said that they're uh, – they had expired and uh, as of 11:15 uh, of this month, and so they probably need to make sure they renew their registration. But there's a lot of good information on that website, including how much money the charity spends on its actual purpose, and you know how much money it brings in, and and you know, whether if you don't find a charity on that website, then you know that's that's a red flag. Yeah, and. and- as I appreciate it, even if you went through the process of getting your 501c3 status from the IRS and you've got all your tax-exempt status, you still can't lawfully raise money in Mississippi if you haven't registered with the Charities Division. That is that is correct. Um, you know, we I, I, people need to realize it's a two-part process. They usually understand that they need to file with the federal government a Form 1023, which is the tax form that you fill out uh, to seek exempt status. And, uh, and there are fees involved in doing that, too, depending on the size of the organization. And part of uh, following that Form 1023 is you're going to have to uh, give a budget, your uh, name of the board members, uh, your projected revenues, that kind of thing. But then also this, the other step that's important is registering with the state because you are an entity, uh, quite often a corporation, that is formed in the state of Mississippi. And uh, you need to be uh, registered here as well in order to be authorized to raise money. Now, before the break, we talked about the benefits uh, of starting your own charity, the tax exempt status that it brings, your ability to raise money for causes that are important uh, to the community. And we also talked about uh, sort of the the limitations, uh, particularly involving political activities. And and that's kind of a broad topic because it's not necessarily clear what it means to be engaged in political activities. If you could, could you just elaborate on what would be prohibited for charities when it comes to uh, lobbying and campaigning? Well, let's let's take campaigning first, because lobbying is really, I think, somewhat misunderstood, and we'll, we'll spend a little time on it, because 501c3 organizations can, in fact, lobby. They're, they're just limited to the extent to which they can lobby. But what they can't do is they can't be involved in uh, endorsing candidates for election. And so uh, yeah, that, that one is specifically prohibited. And the IRS is, uh, after this past year's election, or, or 2016's election, is uh, formed a special committee to even look at uh, what organizations are doing to make sure they're complying with that because uh, uh, the law actually says you can't even encourage people to lie, to uh, uh, participate in the election. Uh, tax-exempt organizations are supposed to be separate from that election process. Charitable organizations are separate from the election process. So, for example, the University of Mississippi, which is a 501c3, or MPB, which is a 501c3, should not be endorsing candidates for office. Uh, in fact, we're prohibited from doing so, as are churches and other educational institutions. So what would be the effect, and this might be getting into a gray area of the law, but let's say you're, uh, well, churches. Churches are, are prevalent in Mississippi, and, and a church invites as a guest speaker one day to the congregation one candidate, but doesn't invite or allow any of the other candidates to come speak to the congregation. Would that run afoul of the campaigning uh, limitations? You know, I personally, I think it does. And um, I'd be concerned about that. I've, I've advised organizations like that, charitable organizations, and my recommendation is that they, unless that candidate is a member of their congregation, that they don't, uh, they don't participate in partisan politics uh, because they're prohibited from doing so. Now, there is some discussion in the, the current uh, tax legislation that's being proposed in Congress to in the Johnson Amendment. The Johnson Amendment is the uh, amendment from the 1960s that prohibits, prohibits uh, um, charities, uh, 501c3s, from participating in elections and, and supporting candidates. Um, frankly, I think that would be a, a bad idea, a misguided idea, but you know, that, that uh, provision has been there for a long time to protect that uh, separation between entities that 
uh, don't pay taxes and influence on elections. Would a charity be prohibited from uh, directly providing some of its funds to one particular candidate? Yes, I mean absolutely, and uh, that that would be uh, you know again a prohibited transaction. So um, you know that if you if those you know, churches and other uh, tax exempt organizations really do need to uh, talk to an advisor before they make decisions about how to spend their money. Their money should be going for charitable purposes um, and not, you know, not prohibited purposes, obviously. Now, you asked about lobbying, and I think there's a misconception that, that churches or educational institutions can't lobby. And, in fact, they can. Uh, um, and there are two ways that uh, the IRS looks at this is you can either lobby up to a certain amount of expenditures uh, as a percentage of your, your organization's revenues, um, or you can fall under something called the insubstantial uh, part test, which means you're, you're only lobbying to an ins- insubstantial part of what your uh, organization does. So, um, for example, if my organization has annual expenditures of uh, half a million dollars or less, I can actually spend 20% of those expenditures on lobbying. I can, I can uh, try to influence Congress. I can try to uh, uh, you know, uh, change laws, if, if, if at all possible. And you'll see that, for example, uh, organizations like the Sierra Club, you know, places like that, that, that do try to influence uh, legislation, um, can, in fact, still be charitable organizations and influence legislation. So these organizations can lobby. They're just limited into the extent that they're allowed to lobby. An organization with $17 million in annual expenditures can, can spend up to a million dollars in lobbying. How do they reconcile? Or how does it work uh, in terms of because lobbying oftentimes means you you want to get candidates who favor your position uh, in office, whatever level of uh, government we're talking about. So if if a, a, a tax exempt charitable organization has some issue that it wants to get certain candidates elected to, could they donate to uh, political action committees, for instance, uh, and not run afoul of directly donating? straight to the candidate, but donating to an organization that supports the issues that the candidate supports? Well, they can. I mean, they're better off, though, uh, uh, you know, lobbying existing legislators, uh, people that not, aren't seeking election, um, for their votes on, on certain issues. But the other thing they can do is, uh, and a lot of uh, very active organizations do this, is they can set up a, a separate uh, tax-exempt organization under Section 501c4, of the Internal Revenue Code, which is a social welfare organization. And those organizations are not limited the same way that a, an organization uh, that is a 501c3 would be limited. So you can, you can set up a separate organization that is not a charitable organization, but is one that, that is strictly designed to try to maybe influence policy and, and uh, provide uh, social welfare. And, and that would be an organization you probably want to get different board members, or at least some different ones on there, right? Uh, right or different, right. Uh, different right. officers. So you want to try to keep it as separate as possible. Um, and its its goal uh, could really support the same goals as the charitable organization's political goals. Uh, it would just separate the charitable organization from those prohibited transactions. So you'll see a lot of bigger organizations do that exact exact thing. They'll have a 501c3 which is where they raise money and uh, do charitable uh, uh, type activities. And then they'll have a uh, 501c4 that will allow them to be involved and much more involved in the political process. Now, charities can do more than just uh, accept donations, right? They can, uh, can, for instance, can a charity uh, charge dues to each of its members? Absolutely. And, in fact, many uh, religious organizations do. Uh, we, we charge tuition to our students. For example, we're an educational institution. Uh, we do not have to pay tax on the tuition we charge to our students. Uh, we also don't have to pay tax on donations to our foundation or to the university. So um, those are, you know, the benefits of, again, being a charitable organization. Um, and so we give up, we voluntarily give up our some of our First Amendment rights to uh, speak out in favor of candidates uh, when we agree to become a charitable organization. It's, you know, it's not required that we do so. Churches don't have to seek tax-exempt status. Educational institutions don't have to be tax-exempt. But when they do, they're agreeing to a certain set of rules. And if I'm a, a dues-paying member, can I 
then deduct from my taxes the dues uh, separate and apart from any donations that I make? Oh, it's a great question. And, uh, you know, typically, yes. You know, if you're, if you, uh, the IRS is not going to check to see, for example, when you pay dues to a, a church or to a, uh, uh, alumni association, um, that you, uh, you know, that, that, that check is made to the church, that check is made to the alumni association, typically deductible, unless you're getting some benefit in return. And that's, you know, that's a key thing because, uh, for example, um, if I go to a dinner uh, that is sponsored by an organization, they're raising money by using that dinner, and um, you know I pay a hundred dollars for my dinner, they will tell me that you know uh, seventy dollars of my my check is going to charitable purposes, and thirty dollars is actually paying for the dinner, and that thirty dollars won't be deductible because I'm getting something in return. So if there's any kind of quid pro quo or something in return, you don't get a deduction. Yeah, and, and before the show, when we were recording, going back and forth on the topics, you know, you, you had the good example of, and you're going to a football game, and if there's a church that's got its parking lot uh, available for parking, and you pay your five bucks to go park, can you deduct the five dollars uh, from your taxes the next year? No, and that again, and that's something. Well, you know, on both sides of that, that could be uh, problematic. In, in that case, the church is simply operating a business of having uh, of using its. Uh, church parking lot to raise money uh, uh, through uh, parking services, which is not part of its charitable purpose. Uh, as far as I'm, I'm aware that, you know, part of religious purpose is to, to provide parking lots for football games. And so that's not deductible because you're getting something uh, in return for that, for that $5. Uh, I, I would say in, in Oxford, it's more like $30 to park in this parking lot. <laughs> and um, the other thing is that the church needs to be careful. Any organization, any charitable organization that is doing something like that on a regular basis, that could become something called an unrelated business, in which case they do have to file a tax return and pay taxes on their income from running an unrelated business. And, um, and that's fair because if, for example, I am not a tax-exempt organization and I uh, have a business that I'm paying taxes on and I lease out my parking lot uh, on football Saturdays or you just let people pay to park in my parking lot on any day, I've got to report that and pay income tax on that. So it's really an unfair advantage to the charity to be able to operate a similar business not related to its purpose and not pay taxes. Well, we're going to take our next break. When we come back, we've got a caller from Jackson. We'll take your call, and we're going to continue our conversation about the law of charities and charitable giving. To join our conversation, give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464 or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Today is Giving Tuesday, and we're talking about the law of charities and charitable contributions. Uh, we have a caller from Jackson who has a question. We're going to go to that. Good morning. Good morning. What's your uh, question? I'm enjoying the show very much. My question is, uh, with House Bill 1523, how does this go along with 
charitable and religious organizations? Well, that's a that's a great question. I think what you're getting to is, can a religious organization, for example, uh, lobby in favor of or against House Bill 1523? And uh, the answer is they, they can uh, be involved in some lobbying activity. Again, it's limited by the Internal Revenue Service. And while they can't support directly support a candidate for election, what they can do is they can uh, you know, lobby and say, we are against House Bill 1523 for these reasons, or we're for it for these reasons, uh, as long as they're within the limits set by the Internal Revenue Service. And, 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 and I think to sort of carry that question a little further and to go back to what we were talking to before the break, they, an organization would be cutting it too close, perhaps, to ar- argue for specific candidates. Is that right, Professor Gershon? But they can actually take positions on the issue as long as they stay within the uh, recognized limits. That is correct. So they can take a position on the issue, but, uh, you know, they can't even, if they do, you'll see some more charitable organizations do a get-out-the-vote kind of uh, uh, movement, you know, where they want people to vote in the election. They can do that as long as they do that in a nonpartisan way and as long as they don't endorse a particular candidate. So they have to be real careful to separate themselves from the elections and the election process. Uh, but in terms of lobbying, uh, uh, Tax-exempt organizations do, in fact, take positions. Uh, you know, educational institutions, for example, uh, often uh, get involved in uh, trying to increase funding for education, uh, which is an appropriate thing to do uh, and, uh, and not prohibited. Did that answer your question? Yes, it did. Thank you very much. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Greg in Savannah, Tennessee. Good morning, Greg. Morning. Um, I've got a question. I'm part of a group uh, here in Tennessee that does stuff for firemen. We call, we do fundraisers and stuff, and we've talked, and we're in the process of getting our tax exempt. But we talked about doing like yard, like a big yard sale kind of thing. And there was one, and people have asked, well, how do we put that? If we donate stuff like that, how do we deduct that on our taxes? If they donate old clothes or TVs or anything like that. Uh, it's a it's a great question, and uh, let me let me first say that e- uh, even before you get official tax exempt status from the Internal Revenue Service, if you are organized for a tax exempt purpose, then um, you have two years to actually finalize that status, and contributions to your organization can be deductible, because the IRS can look back at. Um, returns for a three-year period. So they figure if somebody's taking a deduction to an organization and that organization ultimately is not uh, qualified as a tax-exempt organization, then they can always go back and make you amend your return. So people who donate don't have to be concerned that you're not quite uh, officially approved by the IRS as long as you're taking steps to do that. Now, in terms of value of things like CDs and things like that, um, same thing with donations to Goodwill and organizations where people donate uh, used goods. You have to try to just estimate. And um, the, the thing about it is if, you, if, you've given, if they've given things in value of less than $500 uh, to uh, an organization like Goodwill or your organization, then they, then they really don't have to keep the same level of receipts or proof of value. But as soon as people start wanting to say that their CD that they have is worth $1,000 that they gave to your organization, that's when they better substantiate uh, those things and, and try to get some type of appraisal of, of what it is they're giving. Uh, so, you know, usually when, when you're talking about those kind of donations, they're usually a fairly small value. And, and as long as it's less than $500, if, if you can keep a list of what they've given, um, they, they should be okay. Greg, did that answer your question? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for the call. Uh, Professor, for tax purposes, and I don't, we don't want to get too deep into the weeds of taxes, but in terms of keeping deductions, is it better to get a receipt from the place that you donated it from or just to make your own estimate uh, and, and use that when it comes time to actually claiming that deduction? Greg, it's always good and important to get a receipt from the charity. Uh, in fact, you know, I know uh, I use Goodwill as an, just as an example. There are a lot of good organizations out there, Kidney Foundation, other ones that take uh, people's used uh, furnishings and clothes, and it's all for a good cause. But they'll give they'll give me a receipt when I take my uh, clothes at the end of the year. We always get some clothes that we're not using and give them to Goodwill, and they'll give us a receipt. Now we fill out what's on what we gave, 
uh, they're not going to do that for us. Uh, and we tr- we have to try to value those things. Uh, sometimes it's we look at what we paid for them. We realize that they're the clothes once they're used are not going to be as as valuable. Um, you know, furnishings uh, sometimes the best guess. But you want to have a receipt from the organization substantiating that you made that donation, especially with property. The IRS is much more concerned about donations of property and and making sure people aren't overvaluing their gifts of property. Uh, than they are cash, which is easily substantiated. Now let's turn the, the, the discussion about the law of charities and, and charitable contributions to the to the individuals who would actually be making the, the contributions, because uh, in just in the world we live in, there's not always uh, legitimate organizations out there willing to take your money. And so, if you if you're somebody who's looking to donate to a charity, can we just talk about some of the things you need to look for to make sure it's legitimate? Well, yeah, that's a great question, Greg, and it's something that this time of year we're all getting solicitations from organizations. Some of them we know very well. Uh, Some of them we might not have heard of. Uh, Some of them sound legitimate, but we should be maybe more concerned about them. So the first thing we should do is get information. And the best place to get information in Mississippi is really to go on the, uh, the Secretary of State's website again. There uh, is information about every charity that is registered in the state of Mississippi, including how much money they actually spend on the charitable purpose. Because if, you know, if they're only spending 10% on their charitable purpose and 90% of what you give is going instead to administration of the organization or uh, paying its salaries of the people who work there, uh, that's probably not going to be the best use of your charitable dollar. So we want to make sure that that organization is really, really trying to uh, uh, create a, you know, per, its purpose, follow through with its purpose. And so certainly, you know, when you're talking about 65, 70, 80 percent being used on the charitable purpose, that's usually a good guideline uh, that we're looking for. So that website tells you how much is being spent on administrative expenses. It breaks down how much money they took in this year. You can find out whether that charity is, in fact, legitimate. If you get a call from an organization and you're not sure that it's legit, then you always should ask for information. And, they, and that charity should be able to tell you how much money they actually give to the charitable purpose. I know I've gotten calls from organizations and they sound like they're really, really legit. And uh, it, instead, it's a paid fundraiser on the phone who is trying to get me to donate to this organization. Um, and when I ask questions, they often can't answer those questions. So I always say to people who call me, if I don't know of the charity, like you know, University of Mississippi calls me, that's a different issue. But if I, know, if I don't know of the charity uh, or I'm not sure about it, I ask them to mail me information about that charity. And if they refuse to do it, I refuse to give. So I think you know, you, that information should be available to you. We need to make wise decisions because there are scam artists out there who are not even legitimate charities. Yeah, and it's it's hard to overstate how much helpful information the Secretary of State's website provides about charities. And I think it'd be worthwhile to give out the address, which is to to the what the website. It's www.sos.ms.gov/charities, and there's just a wealth of information about Mississippi charities that are required to be filed. Now, in preparing for today's show, I, I was just looking around at some statistics. And uh, and came across where the Council for uh, uh, Council of Better Business Bureaus says that it's recommended that at least sixty five percent of the total revenue of a charitable organization be spent on program activities, and no more than thirty five percent on overhead administration. Now, uh, as, as a lay person outside charities, both of those sound a little bit off. It seems like more should be going to charities. Why is the number only at sixty five percent to the actual going to the activities? Well, it's a great question, Greg. But, you know, some of these big charities, especially, that are doing great work, uh, do have to pay, you know, full-time people. I, you know, I'm on a board of a, a not-for-profit here in, in Oxford. We just started about a year and a half ago, so we're going through a lot of these issues. But we're not – none of us are taking any pay. So we really are – you know, we, I looked at our administrative expenses this morning. I think we spent $143 in administrative expenses, and the rest is going to our charitable purpose. But the bigger the organization gets, they're probably going to have to have paid fundraisers. They're probably going to have to have, uh, you know, paid administrators. Uh, and so some of these national charities especially are, are going to have some overhead cost, and that's to be expected. 
So that's why we look at 65% and more going to the charitable purpose means that the organization is limiting their expenses as much as possible. They're not just trying to, uh, you know, take money in to pay somebody's big salary, uh, but they but they are going to have some legitimate costs. And some of those might even be they have to have a building, you know, their building costs and things like that. So um, I think that's, that's probably a good recommendation. Obviously, an organization that's giving 90% of its uh, uh, donations to the, the cause that it supports um, is, is being very efficient, and, and that's even a better charity to give to. It, it, it's going to be very charity specific. If it's a, a, a one man shop and uh, they're they're having fifty percent overhead, that's probably not a very good sign. But if it's if it's a a, a large non profit charitable organization with with actual full time employees and individuals working, then a higher administrative cost would be expected. That's exactly right. And so, you know, don't be scared off. If you look on the, the Secretary of State's website and see that, don't be scared off by that. Now, if, you, if the, some organizations are not uh, organized in Mississippi, and so the Internal Revenue Service, if you go to irs.gov, also has a, uh, a list of charities and charities that are, uh, that are um, considered qualified to take charitable contributions and, and that those contributions are deductible. And as long as you're giving to someone on that list, then you know that your charitable contribution will be deductible. And the IRS requires uh, these these uh, charitable organizations to file a Form 990 every year, which is an information re- uh, return, which talks about their revenue, their expenses, their administrative expenses. And if those expenses get too far out of whack, that organization could, in fact, uh, lose its charitable status. And we're going to go ahead and take our final break for the day. And when we come back, we're going to wrap up our conversation about the law of charities and charitable contributions. There's still a lot more we're going to cover, and there's still a lot of time for you to join the conversation. So give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. You're a sustaining member of MPB Think Radio. We appreciate your support of our programs. To become a sustainer, go to mpbonline.org. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. To call the show, dial 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or email legalterms at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio. Welcome back to In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org backslash in legal terms. The show is also available on the MPB Media app. Today is Giving Tuesday, and we're talking about the law of charities and charitable contributions. And we're going to go back to the phones. We've got Richard from Hattiesburg. Richard, good morning. Good morning. My question is, can you make a a charitable contribution to an organization and stipulate what the money is to be used for? Uh, Richard, that's a great question. And, in fact, um, that often is the case. Um, Sometimes the charity may refuse the gift if if it's too restrictive. I mean, charities have been known to do so. I know in the educational context, I mean, we have – people who give money uh, that say, hey, this money is specifically for scholarships for students, or this money is specifically to uh, fund research by a faculty member. So you can absolutely do that. And again, it's really up to the charity whether they want to be bound by that or whether they, whether they want to accept the gift. But once they accept the gift, then, you know, if they don't uh, follow through and, and use the money the way that you've designated, you can actually get it back. And that's happened uh, at places as well. So yeah, that's a conversation to have with a charity to make sure the restriction is something that, that they're comfortable with and they'll accept. 
uh, and uh, and you can do that. And, and Professor, to follow up with Richard's question, if that's something you want to do to limit it, is that best to put that in some kind of a writing with your charitable organization so both sides have an understanding of, of what that money is supposed to be used for? Absolutely, Greg. And in fact, at the university, we use uh, every uh, contribution has comes with a memo of understanding. Um, you know, unless it's just a cash uh, you know, uh, gift to the annual fund or something like that, which is unrestricted. But any restricted gift always has a memo of understanding uh, between the donor and the, and the uh, university because we want to know what that donor wanted and the donor uh, needs to understand what we plan to do as well. So that's the right way to do it. And the organization, if you're going to give a restricted gift, we call that a restricted gift to a particular purpose, um, if the charitable organization accepts that, then they should give you a memo of understanding or some type of uh, written document in exchange for that gift. Richard, thank you so much for that call. Uh, one thing I've noticed, it, particularly in more recent years, from like universities and graduate from a couple of schools, I no longer just get, or I sometimes I'll get a general letter in the mail from the university itself for its foundation, but then specific schools uh, will send you, like a school of journalism or a school of music will send you a specific request uh, for money. So it, 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 it seems like maybe they're trying to do on the front end, say, if you donate to this money to the university, we're going to send it to this school specifically. That's right. That's right. And we, we you know, we do each of the schools here does have a separate um, uh, person who works with us to, to fundraise specifically for our school. And the university not only allows that, but encourages it. The, mm-hmm. the Athletics Foundation has its own uh, separate fundraising uh, wing. And in fact, the Athletics Foundation is separate from uh, the educational uh, side of the, the university. So, you know, it's not unusual to, to make a restricted gift. Uh, for those of us on the recipient side, I know when I was dean, I always liked unrestricted gifts better because that meant we could use uh, the money for anything. But we certainly appreciate restricted gifts as well. Well, let's circle back to before the break. We were talking about what to look for if uh, you have a, a charity that you want to donate to, but you're suspicious. What should you do if you actually confirm your suspicions and believe it's not a legitimate charity? Are there steps you should take to notify somebody? Absolutely. Um, at the state level, you mentioned the, uh, and we, we both mentioned the Secretary of State's website many times because that's your starting point in dealing with charities and forming a charity, anything having to do with charities in Mississippi. Uh, those of you listening in Alabama and Tennessee, similar websites there as well. Um, and there's a way to file a complaint on that website. And it's very important to uh, that if you have a complaint that you follow through on that because there are scammers out there. Um, there are one, for example, there's an organization that says it, it supports uh, veterans or it support. There's also another one that says supports police officers that have, they really will call you and have nothing to do with either veterans or police officers. They are paid fundraisers who simply are trying to get you to send money to them. And uh, sometimes I'll even say, well, as a benefit, you won't be, you know, you won't be pulled over if you contribute to this organization. Uh, Those are never, um, they can never make promises like that. You need to, you need to make sure you look into those organizations to see if they're legit. And then if they're not, it's important that you file a complaint so that they don't scam other people as well. And and a a quick look at the website yesterday, the Secretary of State's website here in Mississippi yesterday. It looks like if he will, uh, that that office will investigate. And I saw there were several examples of cease and desist orders uh, that were issued to charities for any number of reasons. Uh, I would assume some of those would have been they weren't legitimate charities. That's right. And, and, you know, think, I mean, you know, charitable organizations do such good work in our in our society and they're such a necessary part of our social welfare. Um, But they're you know, because they exist, charitable organizations exist. There are people out there that try to take advantage of that. Um, and, you know, somebody can call you up and say, give me money because I'm going to do something good with it. Uh, what the Secretary of State's office does, what the Internal Revenue Service both do, is make sure that that good is actually being done. And now we can turn to something that's right up your alley, uh, Professor, and that's the tax implications of charitable contributions and, and donating charities, particularly at this time of year when a lot of individuals uh, are making their year-end contributions. Uh, can you just uh, talk through or t- uh, explain what it is and how much you can deduct uh, and what you need to do in order to deduct for your charitable contributions under the laws that currently exist? Right. It's a great question, Greg. And, you know, I will st- I'll start by saying the people of Mississippi are extremely generous. We are always one or two in terms of states 
uh, donating to charity. And a lot of people who are making these donations don't even qualify for the charitable contribution deduction. Because the first thing you have to do is you have to be able to itemize deductions. And the majority of people don't itemize because they take the standard deduction instead. Their uh, itemized expenses don't exceed the standard deduction amount. So the first thing you have to do is be able to itemize your deductions. And then you, once you've determined that you've got a legitimate charity that qualifies um, both at the IRS level and at the state level, um, you have to decide whether you're going to make a cash contribution. And, and when I say cash, that means either a check, credit card, something like that. It's not a good idea to give cash outright to charities. Uh, most charities are not even set up to take cash payments. So we're talking about money uh, and you know, giving a check or, or, or you know, charging it online. Uh, that is dollar-for-dollar dollar deductible uh, on the person's tax return. Um, and it saves up to, uh, you know, if, if you're in the, say, 28% tax bracket, that means that uh, you save 28 cents uh, in tax dollars for every dollar that you give. So you still got to be generous because, you know, the, the better th thing to do if you're just worried about the money is just to keep the dollar and pay the taxes because you're still paying 72%, 72 cents of your own money. But most people want to give for, for, for good reasons. Um, and uh, But you can't give more than one half of your adjusted gross income in any year to charity and have that be deductible. And that doesn't apply to too many of us anyway. But um, if you give property like stock, there can be some great benefits in giving something like stock. So if I paid a dollar for my stock and it's worth $10 when I give it to charity, I can take a $10 charitable contribution and if I itemize, I can take a $10 deduction. So, so something I only paid a dollar for, I can actually get uh, $10 in, in deduction for that. And, and speaking of donating property, a reminder that today is hashtag Giving Tuesday. And you can join in the celebration by donating your unwanted vehicle to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. We'll gladly accept your car, boat, motorcycle, running or not. We'll come pick it up. Your donation may even be tax deductible. Call one eight seven seven MPB four car. That's one eight seven seven six seven two four two two seven to do so. And that's going to wrap us up for today's in legal terms. To hear today's show or any previous show, visit mpbonline.org backslash in legal terms, or you can download the MPB Media app and listen on your smart device on demand. Our board engineer today was Michelle McAdoo. For Professor Richard Gershon, I'm Greg Mayer. Up next is relatively speaking. Join us again next Tuesday at 10 for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio.